Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Steve Davidson with this week's message. All right, good morning to you. It's good to see you. How's everybody doing? Okay, good. You getting 2012 off to a good start? That was far from convincing. You know, even though my calendar, my year kind of runs in the school year because I'm a high school teacher, um, I kind of think a lot in terms of that as a my year. But still, there's something about just me as an individual. After I cross that date line and begin the new year, it's like God's kind of way of saying, okay, Steve, I want you to think about how I'm going to use you this year. I want you to think about how I'm going to shape you this year. The experiences that I lead you through this year, I'm going to use in your life and and create a 2012 journey for you. And I hope that you, as you begin each new year, you'll be thinking about, what is God going to do with me this year? How's he going to use me in ministry? How's he going to shape my life? Well, Ken got us off to a good start last week on helping us remind ourselves how important it is that God, a part of being a Christ follower, is to commit back to God the first tenth of everything we make. And so we continue looking at generosity and what is it God wants us to do with the stuff of life he's given us. And so Pastor Ken set out in this series for us to look today at the parable that Jesus told in Matthew chapter 25. And so I want to just read it. It won't take long. It's rather quick and easy and it's just got kind of a simple little message. But I think it will be on the screen if you'll follow along um, as I read it aloud. Jesus' parable in Matthew chapter 25. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man that received the five talents went out at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the one who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned to settle accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. To the man who had received the two talents, the man uh, also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, "Good, well, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man. Harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and so I went out and hid your talent in the ground. So see, here it is, and and it belongs to you. His master said, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I'd not sown and gather where I've not scattered seed? Well, then you should have at least put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him. Give it to the one with the ten talents. For everyone who has invested wisely will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not, even what he has will be taken from him. Throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, 
where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, Jesus used, frequently, Jesus used parables to help us get a picture of what it likes, it, what it means to be a Christ follower, what it means to be a participant in the kingdom of God. The windows. Now, when all of us have had different times in our life where we've gone out to try to find a house to rent, a house to buy, and some of the times we'll take and, and do it with a real estate agent, but then there's some times where you just kind of want to go check stuff out. Well, you pull up and you see a for rent sign or a for sale sign in the front door. Well, the first thing, if you're doing it on your own, you want to look and see, are they still living here? <laughs> if they're not, if it's uh, the curtains are open, you don't see anything inside, what do you do? You get out of the car, you look around the yard, you walk up to the front, and you go, <laughs> hey, honey, look, here's the living room. <laughs> and then you go over to the side gate, see if the side gate's open. You walk through, if it's open, you walk in the back and say, oh, honey, look, here's the family room and the kitchen. Well, see, no single window gives you a view of the entire house. But each window gives you a little glimpse of what it, it's like inside there. Well, that's what parables are. Jesus says parables are like that. They're windows for us to see what it means to live under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so... In this one, though, oftentimes throughout the course of history, people have focused a great amount of energy in trying to learn how to interpret parables and understand them. But I'm almost convinced, as I have spent a lot of time, because to me, if that's the method, one of the main methods that Jesus used, I want to really learn from Jesus. And so as I looked at it, the more I read about parables and stuff, it's not so much me interpreting parables, but to allow parables to interpret me. Allow me to look, use a parable to look at my life and see, here's what God, it means for, God, for me as a Christ follower to be a part of God's kingdom. How does my life compare with that? So for me, it's more using the parable to help me interpret myself. Well, this is in a group of parables called contrastive parables. It means here's one side and here's another. Let's compare the two. Well, now, in this parable, well, there's two main kind of sets of characters. You have, you have the, the owner of the property, <clears throat> and you have the servants that he dispenses his property to before he takes his journey. Well, now, the analogy is really fairly clear here that God is, is, the, is the owner of the property, and we are the servants. And so part of what it means to be a part of the kingdom is understand that God comes to you and I, and he gives us, the stuff we, he knows we need to be a part of God's kingdom. All of what we need to be a part of, to be a Christ follower comes from him. And so, but all of that, as we look at that, think about the stuff that we've been given to do life with. How little of that we really have, have any choice over. Think about it. The time in which we live, the place in which we live, the socioeconomic status that we have, really, we didn't say before we were conceived in the womb, well, I would like to choose this time in this country and this socioeconomic status. How many of you got that choice? I didn't. <laughs> From somehow in the beginning of time, God decided that Steve Davidson would come into the world, <clears throat> 1954, <clears throat> um, a long time ago, but you see, we don't have a choice on that. 
Right now, we're living in 2012 here in, let's just say, Benicia, California, uh, most of us, and um, in a upper middle to upper middle class environment. But let's see, if you just changed any one of those, what if you changed this, roll back the clock 150 years to when Benicia was the third capital of the state of California? 1853 to 54, is that correct? <clears throat> I don't live in Venetia. You've got to help me, Pastor. All right. And of course, the name Venetia comes from the wife of Commandant General Vallejo, who originally the town was named Francesca. But then when Yerba Buena decided to call itself San Francisco, they decided, well, we're not going to use her first name, we'll use her middle name, Venetia. Right? I didn't... Hey, you guys got to help me now, okay? (laughs) Ease me over from Napa to Benicia, okay? But you see, back then, what would have been like in 1850s? Well, certainly you wouldn't have paved streets that have been dirt. You wouldn't have electricity. You wouldn't have indoor plumbing. You wouldn't have cell phones or the internet. All of... Just think about how life would have been different if you just changed the time frame. What if you change the country? Whether if instead of being born here in the United States and living in this area, you were born in Iran or North Korea. Or whether you were born as an Eskimo up in Nome, Alaska this week where they were waiting for fuel to arrive because it was 30 below zero. Or whether you were born an infant child of the Bedouin tribe in the deserts of North Africa. How would your life be different? Or whether you change the socioeconomic status of what you came into. Whether you, for instance, if you were born into a silver spoon family where you had all the wealth that you could imagine. Well, Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. If you had everything from a monetary standpoint, your socioeconomic was on the top, would life be easier? Well, you're still going to fight financial stuff, petty stuff, relationship stuff, what if, you, what if instead of being on the top rung, what if you were on the bottom? What if you were born the infant child of a mother hooked on crack in one of the ghettos? Would your life be different than what it is today? And you didn't have a choice on any of that. But it says, despite that, God comes to us and says, I want everyone to, be, to come to know Jesus Christ. I want to invest in every one of you the resources that I have available to, to himself. And so the That's the primary identities of it. Now, the primary application of the parable has to do with when God gives us the stuff of life. The time, the talents, the resources, the influence. When God gives us those things, he wants us to be willing to risk it for the sake of the kingdom. Risk. R-I-S-K. God, God says, I'm going, to, I'm going to give you the wealth that I have, but I want you to be willing to risk it in generosity to spread God's love throughout our world. Now, some risk management is prudent. We have seat belts in our cars. We have smoke detectors in our homes. We have warning lights that go off in the car when something's wrong. We have, we have little beeper things on our smartphones that remind us, don't miss that appointment that you're supposed to be at. I have one that goes off at 6 o'clock every morning and says, get out of bed and get your exercise going so you can get to school on time. (laughs) There's a certain amount of risk management that's okay. Um, But as much as anything, Jesus says, I am the Lord of the risk. 
I want you to risk taking the stuff I've given you and risk being generous with it. In a publication called Vital Speeches, Walter Riston was the chief operating officer of the multinational Citicorp Corporation. And in it there, he was trying to convince a group of businessmen, entrepreneurs, to invest capital to try to get our economy moving forward. But it wasn't so much the, the business stuff that he was saying, but the person he quoted in trying to give influence to that speech, in the fact that he quoted Jesus Christ when he said, whoever will seek to l- save his life will lose it, but whoever will lose his life for my sake will find it. Well, this parable is about taking the stuff of life that God's given us, time, talent, money, influence, the stuff that God's given you that makes you unique to yourself, no one else like you. And God says, I want you to invest it in the kingdom's work. Well, to be generous, we must be willing to risk, first of all, participating rather than just observing. Participating rather than just observing. Now, what does that mean? That means to be generous with your time and talents. To be generous with your time and talents. You see, this is a contrastive parable. What's the difference between the five talent and the two talent? In that passage as we read it, was there anything? No, the only thing different was the five and the two. Otherwise, the words are exactly the same. So what he's laying out is in stark contrast to the five and two talent man, they're going to draw a stark contrast to the one talent man. Now, so God wants us to take whatever we've been given, whether we're given five or two or one, is immaterial. God says, I want to give you the stuff you need to do life the way I want you to do it. Now, Reinhold Niebuhr tells a story about a man who had a dream. He was an inlander, a flatlander, who had a dream of going to sea. And so as he began to enter his adulthood, he traveled from the inland to the coast, signed on with the sea captain to be a part of his crew. And as he went on to that ship, he got on there, and the the captain immediately as they started setting out to the ocean, he says, okay, climb the mast and set the sails. Well, here was this inlander and flatlander who had never been more than two feet off the ground in his life. And as he starts to climb that flag, or the, the mast on that ship, he gets about halfway up and go, realizes, oh my gosh, I've never been this high before. He's afraid of ascending to the heights, but he's also afraid of going back down because of the ridicule, and he simply freezes, clutching on to that mast. Well, sometimes when God gives us the stuff of life and says, here's what I want you to do, we start out, oh, good, I'll go. And we get into it and we freeze. And we fail to use the stuff that God's given us for the kingdom's work. Now, the problem with spectating only is it warps our perspective. First of all, it warps our perspective on God. You see what the the one-talent man said to to the, the owner of the property when he comes back? He says, you're a hard man. See, it just totally warped his perspective on this was his property owner. They had had a good relationship. But now all of a sudden when there came accountability, when he simply froze, it now starts to warp his perspective. On, and it warps our perspective on our relationship with God. It warps our perspective on life in the church. Because, gosh, well, if I had the talents that Brian does to play the guitar and sing... If I had the abilities that Pastor Ken has to get up here and teach and preach, then, then I, would, I would not worry with risking who I am. But I'm just a one-talent man. I'm just a one-talent person. I really can't make a difference. 
And the message of this parable is, it doesn't make any difference whether you have five or two or one. God says, I want you to use whatever I've given you. So if you're here today and you're convinced you're a one-talent talent person, I'm with you. <laughs> Do not ask me to play the guitar. One, I could never control all of these gadgets. Even if I knew how to play the guitar, I can't play that thing. Oh, maybe he doesn't play at all. Those are just pre-recorded songs. Brian's not here, is he? Now I get it. Okay. But so it warps our perspective. It was like that in a story that Edgar Allan Poe told about a rural farm family who every year took the Sears catalog and they would pick one item that they would order for the family. And so what they did one year was they decided they would order a telescope. And they waited and waited and waited, and finally the telescope arrives. They unpack the box, they set it all up in the living room, and they gaze it out the window. Dad goes over and he looks in, and all of a sudden he realizes the family is under attack from some hideous, grotesque monster. He scoops up the family, they go, they run into the basement, and they hide there until slowly their emotions start to settle. They came back up only to find out that when Dad had looked through the telescope, he saw a praying mantis on the windowsill. <laughs> but magnified out of proportion, it scared the heck out of him. And so it's vitally important that we not be a spectator, but that we be a risk taker. Risk taking keeps things in proper perspective. It was like that for Dr. David Kane who in November of 1923 had a theory that surgery performed under a local anesthesia would be safer and of less risk than always putting people under a general anesthesia. The only problem was he couldn't find anybody that would help him prove his point. <laughs> so in November of 1923, he took the ultimate risk. He injected himself with a local anesthesia and removed his own appendix. And with that, thrust modern medicine into the 20th century. So we must learn to understand that a part of being faithful to God is learning to risk our time and our talents. God's made every one of you with things, unique abilities, unique personality. You, you are able to do things that nobody else could do. God has a purpose specifically for each one of you. The second thing, God wants us to be generous. We must be willing to risk giving freely rather than hoarding. Well, this has to do with being generous. Now, I know there's not a blank in the bulletin for this. Somehow between, it's a miscommunication between a Dell and a Mac. And so there was supposed to be a line there that says, be generous with your money and influence. Be generous with your money and influence. Well, in Jesus' day, the, the one talent man would have been considered prudent. Because the rabbis of the day told a parable just like this. Except the five talent and the two talent man went out, invested it, used it, lost it. And when they came to accountability with the master, he had them put to death. And the one talent man who simply had gone and buried it, brought it back, he praised him. I wonder why Je they said, Jesus teach like, teaches like no one else has ever taught before. He's kind of taken our status quo and kind of shifted it on us. God says to be a part of the kingdom's work is to, is to take the stuff of life and go out and be willing to risk it even if you, have, even if you lose it all. 
Now, I think Jesus refuses to be the Lord of our life if our primary goal is personal security. If our, personal, if our goal is personal security. You know, Jesus never said, at least I've not found it in the scripture yet, never gave a parable that says the kingdom of God is like a man sitting in a recliner next to his fireplace. <laughs> now, that must be Hezekiah, because I haven't seen it anywhere else. But he did say the kingdom of heaven is like a pearl of great price. That a man went out and sold all that he had so that he could buy that pearl of great price. That's the value of the kingdom. Now, the, there was a group of Catholic monks on the Brittany coast of France that kind of understood this. And when they built an abbey there, they named it Our Lady of the Risk. After Mary, the mother of Jesus, who risked life, reputation, all that she was to be willing to give birth to the Son of God. Did Jesus risk it all? What happened on Good Friday? He risked it all to go to the cross in the confident belief that the Father would raise him from the dead on the third day. He risked it all. But it's sad that too oftentimes, and Pastor, I am excited. When you guys started this dollar, dollar a day thing, dollar, dollar club. I'm a teacher, I can't remember all this stuff. It's got to be simple. I said, I'm on board with that one because it says we as a church family are going to be generous in our community. We want to be known as the generous church in the city of Benicia. I love reading biographies. B.H. Carroll was a pastor. And B.H. Carroll, when he got to the age of 70 years, uh, 70 years of age, he had been pastor of a church in Waco, Texas for 30 years. And he was ready to retire, so he re retired from the church, and he decided that he wanted to go and spend some time in Colorado in the mountains, in the Rocky Mountains. So he boarded a train and started heading for Colorado. And as he's traveling across the plains of West Texas, all of a sudden, God, that voice of God, started to echo in his mind. B.H. Carroll, I want you to establish a seminary for the training of young men and young women for Christian ministry. And as he got that impression from God. He says, no, but you understand, I'm, I'm old and I've just retired. Uh, 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 not, not, not me. And God said, do it. And he says, but, but, but I'm deaf, I'm deaf. He, he had a beard down to here, and he had an ear trumpet that went from his ear down, and there was a trumpet behind, hidden behind his beard, it, the older version of a hearing aid. Okay? And he says, I, I can't, I, I'm deaf, I, I just can't do that, I just can't do that anymore. And the voice of God said, do it. And he says, I've hit up churches and Christian people for so long, for so many different causes, I just can't go and ask for anything else. And God said, do it. And so he gripped that seat in front of him until his knuckles turned white. And then, probably as much a startle to him as everybody else in the train car, he grabbed a hold of the back of that seat, stood up, and said, Okay, I'll do it. And he started Southwestern Seminary in Fort Worth. And today, 
It has about 3,000 students every semester training for Christian ministry, the largest Christian seminary on the earth. Because one old guy that was ready to retire said, okay, God's not done with me yet. Now, we've got to risk being generous with our time, with our money and our influence. Finally, to be generous, we must risk accepting responsibility rather than placing blame. In verse 19, the master returns. It's a, it's a picture of biblical judgment, of Christian accountability. And Jesus, the, the, the man has very harsh words for this one who simply had taken the talent and buried it and brought it back. He describes him, describes him as a wicked, lazy servant. Well, the word used there is the same word that is used in the scripture for the devil himself. He says, if you're not willing to take the stuff that God's given you, you're no different than the devil himself. God wants you to be a kingdom liver. To the risk takers, he said, to the five talent and the two talent man, who simply, by contrast, took and said, I'll go, I'll invest it as the best I can. I'll use the stuff you've given me. He says, come, share your master's happiness. And so God says to us, I want you to be generous. I want you to be willing to take the risk to take the stuff that God's given you, the time, the talent, the resources, the influence, and make a difference for the kingdom in this world. Risk being generous with all that God's given you. I mean, where did it come from in the first place? From him. So what does God want you to risk? What's the question that God has for you? What's going to make you grab a hold of the seat in front of you today and white-knuckle up? Well, some of you are here today, and, and your white-knuckle experience is, is simply that you've come to know Jesus Christ. You've come to know that God sent Jesus to die on the cross for you, and he's offering you forgiveness and an abundant eternal life. But the risk is, if I become a Christ follower, what will my family say? What will my coworkers say? What will the people in my extended family say? That's a real risk. But if you're going to experience all God has for you, you've got to grab hold of the back of that seat and stand up and say, okay, I'll do it. I'll accept Jesus as my Savior. For some of you who are here today, it means to be generous with your influence. Yeah, you, you got an education, and you've taken a job somewhere. But I don't think it's by chance that you're in the job you're in. If you're a Christ follower, God positions us in places where you may be the only gospel someone ever hears. You, you may thought you chose the house you did. But God puts you in a neighborhood where you can be a voice for Jesus in, in your neighborhood. Are you willing? Are you... Knuckle up? Oh my gosh, now you're really talking white knuckles. Will I risk being generous with the message of Jesus Christ, with those that I work with and live around? Maybe your risk today is one of being generous with your resources. Last week, Pastor talked about the importance of simply being accountable to the obedience of giving a tithe. But what about giving beyond that? What, if, what about responding to the needs that we feel that we see to, with those around us? And finally, maybe your risk is to say, I will risk using my talents and my abilities in ministry. 
you're not involved in a ministry here at the church, you need to be. You cannot grow. You cannot conduct this journey with Christ through the year 2012 unless you've found a place of ministry. Use your time and your talents for the kingdom's sake. What will you risk? What does God ask you to risk? What will white-knuckle you up today? My prayer is that we be, as we begin this journey through 2012, our Christian walk of 2012, what does God want for you this year? Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California.